0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm Josh Patterson, and I just got home from work. I don't know what you guys have been up to, but I worked today. <laughs> it was a pretty easy day, a fun day. As most of you know, I uh, I work at a brewery now. I'm a brewer at a local spot here in Baltimore. And uh, today was nice. I, I cleaned out a tank that we used uh we made a we so we have a line of sours called Dan's Jams and I'm not huge in on sours but we do we do well with our sours and this one particularly was a candy sour and I can't say exactly what kind of candy we put in it but it was pink and it was shaped like a square and it was very delicious, and we made a beer with about 250 pounds of this pink delicious square candy that also comes in a variety of colors and other fruit flavors. Uh, you guys can probably guess, but I cleaned out that tank. I uh, got it nice and clean, sanitized, purged it from all the oxygen, and tomorrow, I will be moving our American Light Lager Royale with cheese into that tank, so that's what I did today, and then on top of that, I have the privilege of podcasting and hanging out with my new friend John. This is uh John Mabry. John, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Thanks so
0: much. Yeah, thank you so much for uh for agreeing to come on and hang out. And also, to listeners. Um, I have been I have thrown John all over the place. My schedule has been very crazy, and John has been very gracious and patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, John, I appreciate uh both your patience and your graciousness uh working this out and, and making it happen. So, thank you so much for not kicking me to the curb. I appreciate it.
1: No worries, man.
0: Hmm. Well, John, just so uh, for our listeners who may not be super uh, familiar with yourself or your work, can you just kind of give us like a, a background, a little bit of who you are and what kind of stuff you find yourself doing?
1: Uh, uh Sure. So um, I uh, am the Director of the Spiritual Direction Certificate Program at the Chaplaincy Institute, which is an interfaith seminary in Berkeley, California. Um, uh, I also have a, a private practice in spiritual direction and supervision, and um, I run a small publishing company called the Apocryphile Press. I'd like to say that we uh, we we publish things that religious publishers wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> um a- in my spare time i i write music um i sing for two progressive rock bands um metaphor and mind furniture and um uh and uh, i have a new solo album out and um and i write i write theology i write spirituality um and i write um fiction mostly science fiction and fantasy
0: Nice. So you basically do a little bit of everything, is what I'm uh, picking up on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe it's that I get bored easy. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, but um, you know, my life has recently changed. Um, I was a United Church of Christ pastor. Um, I pastored Grace North Church for 27 years in Berkeley, and um, and that has just just come. So I am figuring out um, if I am not, uh, if I am not a pastor. And, uh, so, uh, I'm trying on writer for size, uh, and that, <laughs> so writer and teacher, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Nice. I like that. I, um, I too recently, I guess, so believe it or not, geez, it's been almost a year now, uh, that I have stopped being a pastor. I was not a pastor for 20 some years because I've only been alive for 20 some years. Uh, but I was a pastor for about five or six years. And I stopped doing that and became a bartender. And then now here I am as a brewer at a local craft brewery. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I have aspirations to be a writer. (laughs) I have some fears of my own that hold me back. But I have some some stuff that I've written that I have kept very private. But I have aspirations for sure of a variety. Oh, we, so, well, we should talk about that another time. Yeah, most definitely. I, I would love to. That'd be super helpful.
1: Great, cool. great.
0: Yeah, and uh, John, one one question that I I really like to ask people, just because it it really helps to you know, it helps to kind of get to know you, but also it um it helps bring like a relate uh, relatability to things. Uh, the podcast is called Rethinking Faith, and so mm-hmm. um, I was wondering what is perhaps. <clears throat> the most important aspect of your faith that you feel you had to rethink?
1: Wow. Uh, You mean in my whole life?
0: Uh, It could be in your whole life or it could be in the last 10 minutes (laughs) or in (laughs) in the last three months. Yeah, whatever it is. You you can qualify it how you want because it is is a big question.
1: I I would say there there are two major shifts. I'll, I'll take them in chronological order if that's all right. So um, I was raised uh, a pretty hardcore fundamentalist Southern Baptist um, and um you know, uh, evangelicals, the evangelical world is pretty exclusivist. you know we've we've got the truth and nobody else does. Um, and so, you know that was the way I was raised. and um uh, I had some really painful experiences of a uh, of a, a church that was, much further to the right than even most Southern Baptist churches, they were very influenced by <clears throat> Jack Hiles and the uh, Independent uh, Baptist movement there. And um, uh, and you know there was some significant spiritual wounding there. Um, and uh, so uh, after after high school, I kind of uh, needed a, a break. So (laughs) from from religion, you know, so uh, when my friends kind of got into sex, drugs and rock and roll, so did I. Um, And uh, one day I was driving uh, with my my best friend, Bob, and um, my girlfriend at the time and his girlfriend at the time, we were driving to Disneyland and I asked him, Bob, what is God? And Bob had been raised by hippies. So um, I knew that this was going to be a different answer than uh, Perhaps uh, <laughs> he'd get if he asked me. And uh, he said, Well, the universe is like a gigantic, complex dance. It's seemingly chaotic, but perfectly orchestrated. And everything in the universe knows the steps to the dance. The planets, the stars, the angels, the demons, the plants, the animals—they—they they all do the steps perfectly. And the only ones who have forgotten the steps are are human beings. And so, we—this uh, is the this is why we have religious traditions because it—they uh, give us the 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 way to get back into step with the dance of the universe <clears throat> and. I was so blown away. I was so blown away. I, you know, I, by that, that answer, I, I, I became a universalist on the spot. I cried for two, two days, man. I kid you not. Um, and, um, uh, and so then from then on, it was really, a uh, a, a quest for how do all of these other religions relate to God? How do they understand God? Um, what is, what is the religion about? Um, And one of the things I realized is that, you know, uh, every, every person has, you know, a, a tradition to teach them the steps. And my tradition was Christianity. And so I went back to it and I, you know, I learned to jitterbug with, with, with Christianity and that was just fine. But I never again thought that, uh, that that could be the only way there were, there were other dance moves and they were cool too. You know Um, I got an earring so that every time I would look in the mirror, I would be reminded uh, of who I was and never fall back into fundamentalist conformity. Um, And I did a PhD in world religions. Um, And doing that PhD was a work of, of, significant healing. Um, And one of the things that really, really surprised me is that every time I would find a teaching or a practice that I didn't know about uh, in another tradition, when I came back to the Christian tradition and I dug, I would find it.
2: Which really blew my mind.
1: Um, and it just really kind of reinforced that, that universality for me. Um, and so uh, being grounded in a tradition, in my tradition, um, has been uh, life-giving for me. Um, and at the same time, um, teaching world religions and comparative theology and interfaith spiritual guidance um, has basically been my you know my life's work apart from pastoring. Um, so that was the first big shift. The second big shift is you know I would say that for most of well it, certainly the the first half of my pastoral life uh, I would have considered myself a Christian agnostic. So I practice this tradition but who knows right um and then I was um, uh, studying for a reception into the United Church of Christ as a pastor. And um, I had to take um, some classes in theology, and I had to uh, read Martin Luther. Well, I never read Martin Luther before. Uh, I loved Martin Luther. I mean that guy is a gas. I was expecting just dry as dirt kind of theology, but that's not what I got. I got something that was just vibrant and alive and cussing and 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 body. And uh, uh, it was so human and it was so brilliant um, that I read all 775 pages of Luther's um, basic theological writings and it turned me inside out. And the big shift point came when I realized that when Luther says we are saved by faith, he did not mean intellectual assent to a list of metaphysical propositions like in the creed. You know, faith is a mistranslation. He meant we are saved by trust.
2: And The moment I got that, I heard the voice of Jesus say, You know, I don't care what you believe. Can you trust me?
1: And that's when I realized it wasn't about believing the right thing. It was about having a relationship with this living person. It was about being intimate with him, uh, to f- fully revealing myself to him and having him reveal himself to me. Um, and that healed, that, that really began um, uh, the completion of my healing process, I would say, because it, it brought me back to some of the stuff in my evangelical past because for all the stuff that I think the evangelicals get wrong, like, you know, the rigid, the rigidity and the rules and, and the shunning and all of that stuff, uh, and the exclusivity, the one of the, I think one of the big things they get right is intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, and I would say that that is, has only grown and that, you know, since I had that that uh, uh, that that realization, and that was about about six years ago, I would say, I am every bit as besotted with jesus as uh, as <laughs> as I ever have been. Uh, and um, uh, it's amazing to find healing like that. You know, I'm no longer terrified of God. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, that, man, that, so that last thing you said, no longer terrified of God that, so that for me was probably the biggest experiential shift that I had in my own personal spiritual journey because, and, and what I had to do for myself, I've talked about this before is, but I, I talk a lot about my experience from like learning how to move from head into heart. Yeah. And yeah. I I had to start with my head though, because I you know I'm a nerd. I like to read all sorts of shit and <laughs> and yeah. nerd out theologically. And I realized I had all this head knowledge, but I didn't have this experiential knowledge of God. And um, I started seeing a spiritual director when I still worked in a church. And one of the questions uh, or one of the things that I had I wrestled with with uh, Sid, my spiritual director. Was that exact thing? Like mm-hmm. I was terrified to actually experience whoever this God was. Oh yeah. And so like my, my intellect, I was using my intellect as like, a almost as like a defense mechanism as like an excuse not to actually have to meet this God. Right. I could just yeah. read all these books about him, get all the right ideas and I'll be good. Uh, And that became an excuse to not actually have to experience this God. And and working through that in spiritual direction was a massive shift for me. And it took a lot of time. Um, It actually, I had to go through my intellect. I, that's where I ended up falling into uh, open and relational theology and process theology and thought. Uh, That realm of things helped give me intellectually a God that was love. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, cool. Okay. So now, my head is going to allow me to go where my heart wants to. And then it just, you know, it's been been night and day ever since. So I really, <laughs> I really resonate with that, uh, with what you said there, for sure.
1: And I, I resonate with the intellectual piece too. I mean, I did exactly the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I love to read about God. It's not really the same as knowing God.
0: Yeah, I I noticed that when when you were speaking about your your two shifts, because I I thought it was interesting. um, And please correct me if I misunderstood you. But like you uh, started to like read and learn about and teach about um, other religions prior to having that um, second shift that you talked about. So like that I was super excited about that, because for me the the reason that i have been able to open myself up to interfaith dialogue and learning from various spiritual traditions uh came the other way i couldn't do it intellectually i had to do it through experience um and through you know reading p- various christian mystics
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: kind of finding permission so to speak uh but then also just experiencing the the god that i experienced and being like oh yeah this This guy is far too big to be contained in my little intellectual box that I like to call Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Or or anybody's. Or anybody's box. Yeah, for that matter. I'm with you. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Huh. Sweet. Well, I guess um so we haven't we haven't really done much um interfaith stuff on rethinking faith. And Part of it, part of why that is, is because I was really afraid to do it. Um, I actually, I had a conversation, a couple conversations with my buddy Dan, uh, who hosts the uh, You Have Permission podcast, and um, he was like, "Dude, it's like it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid." And so I, I did an episode recently. Uh, well, I reached you were so you were the first person I reached out to. I was like, "Okay, cool. If I'm, I'm going to do this. I want to talk to John." Um, And so I was excited for that. And then I also, I I did an episode recently uh, about how Buddhism has made me a better Christian with my, my good friend, Greg. And so I guess what I wanted to ask you first was if you like, if somebody was, were to come to you and be like, okay, John, why is interfaith dialogue so important? Why as a Christian should I care and learn about these other religions uh, from like an intellectual perspective, uh, what might you say to somebody like that?
1: Uh, well, from an intellectual perspective, um, you know, if it doesn't fascinate you, maybe you shouldn't. Um, but you know, you can take all kinds of perspectives on it. So you you could take a political perspective on it, or um, a social justice perspective on it. Um, There's lots of reasons to do interfaith dialogue, and most of them uh, revolve around the fact that we have to live together. And a lot of us want to live together. Um, And people are afraid of things they don't understand. Um, You know, for instance, people are so afraid of of Islam, but when you actually start to study Islam, um, there's so much beauty, there's so much heart. Um, there's so much in common, um, that, um, it, it utterly transforms, uh, your, you know, how you, how you feel about a faith and how you feel about the faithful, how you feel about the people who follow this faith. Um, and one of the things that doing dialogue does is you form relationships. Um, when you become friends with people of other faiths, when you start to love them, um, you start to care about what they care about. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm curious and I like to be curious. and I like to know what people are passionate about and why. And you know, there's nothing there's nothing better than being with somebody who is passionate about their faith and wants to talk about it. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the faith is, you know. Um, my wife and I recently went on vacation, and we're we're here in um, uh, upstate New York. And I just i i was i was dying to go to to uh, Palmyra, which is you know where uh, the Latter Day Saints um, got their start. You know, so here's the hill, Camorra, where uh, Joseph Smith um, uh, uh, legend has it, uh, uh, you know, uncovered uh, the uh, the golden plates that would become the uh, the Book of Mormon. And um, staying in our air in our uh, in our B and B was um, another couple who were a Mormon couple, and they were on pilgrimage to see the hill. And so we were up on the hill together. And for about two hours, we could not stop talking fast enough as they shared what they loved about their faith. And we shared what we loved about our faith. And there was no contention. There was no anybody trying to convert anybody. It was respectful, and it was passionate, and it was lovely. And I think we both came away from that encounter feeling sad that we wouldn't be talking more. You know, um, it was, it was just a beautiful experience. And I love having those kinds of beautiful experiences. Um, Back in 2013, I uh, took a pilgrimage myself. And um, I went to India and Nepal to visit all of the sites of the Buddha's life. And I, I really wanted to immerse myself in that world, and I wanted to reflect on what it meant to have Jesus as my Savior as I was living and eating and uh, uh, and worshiping beside people who have a different Savior. And it was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. I mean, dysentery aside, I, I did get dysentery six times, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but oh, oh, what an amazing experience that was. Um, I wrote a book called uh, A Christian Walks in the Footsteps of the Buddha. Um, And uh, it's a, you know, it's part travelogue, it's part theological reflection, it's part history. Um, But um, uh, just every bit of it is, uh, is heartfelt. It was, um, it was absolutely a transformative experience. And it was the people that made it. it was just talking to the other pilgrims who were there, and what about the Buddha? What about the Dharma? What about the Sangha? Um, transforms their lives, gives their lives meaning, you know, um, lights them up. Um, it was a great experience.
0: Yeah, that's man. There, there's so much good there. And uh, two things that that really stood out to me uh were and I'll I'll try to tackle both of them. One of them was relationship and also the other one was curiosity. And um I loved how uh earlier you were you were talking about <clears throat> when you were describing your your faith shift, um this idea that like it's not that's about so it's not so much about correct belief, like right belief, but rather right relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh actually today I was I was reading uh from Richard Rohr's uh book, Things Hidden Scripture Spirituality. And he was talking about in, that in there as well. And he, he talks about Jesus' statement about I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he was trying to point out that like Jesus isn't making this like exclusivist, like you know, kind of claim, but rather like this this relationship is like so key that it's it's about right relationship, um, and and not right belief. And then just you know the heart of the universe is relational energy right quantum physics yeah. tells us this science has been saying this the mystics uh the trinity is this this idea of of three persons in relationship continuously uh giving and receiving love um and so like of course relationship matters right and it's just it's so cool to to hear you talk about and share stories um about building relationship with people outside of your own you know religious or or spiritual bubble or something like that like relationship um if relationship is the core pattern of the universe then probably we should pay attention to it (laughs) yeah oh yeah Yeah. no i have a whole
1: theology around that you know uh, community is salvation um uh, I'm very influenced by uh, Charles Williams, an Anglican mystic you you, you may know about, uh, who was a uh, part of the Inklings group with Tolkien and uh, and C.S. Lewis. Um, and uh, you know his his theology is well. First of all, it's all about romantic love. That uh, it is it is love. You know, God is love. So when we love, we are knowing we know God. Uh, you know, and that community is salvation and isolation is, 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 is damnation. You know, it's, you know, when we're in community, we are being saved. And when we uh, are in isolation, we are, we are not, um, in his theology, you can, uh, either walk towards community or away from community, but in any time you can turn around and walk the other way. But the further you walk in any one direction, the harder it is to turn around. I think there's really, really something there. <clears throat> and I love the metaphor of, of the, of the Trinity as community. Community is
0: what God is. Yeah. It, it plays a nice scene. It, it, it fits well too, because like my understanding of you know what I mean by the word sin and how I use that has definitely shifted and, and changed over the years. But how I like to talk about sin now is like anytime we buy into the lie or the delusion that we are separate from one another, that we are separate from nature, that we are separate from God, from creation, whatever, um, that is what sin is because when we separate ourselves uh, from one another, that allows me to then treat you poorly or dehumanize you or be racist or kill you or fight you or, you know, whatever it is. And so like, for me, so, you know, salvation is like this, this reawakening uh, to the reality that has been here the old time, the whole time, right. That uh, all of us are connected. All of us are in relationship Um, with each other, with, with our neighbor, with God, with creation. Um, And that's, yeah, that's, that's huge. So I'm, I'm all for the emphasis on relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I, I think that a big uh, uh, piece of the puzzle that fit into, uh, into place for me was when I was reading um, Scott McKnight, who I know you've had on your show. Um, you know when he's talking about what what christianity is about is healing in four directions you know healing the brokenness in our relationship with god healing our brokenness in our with with our deepest selves healing our brokenness with other people and healing the brokenness with the environment you know with the with the world with the universe um that the, this healing in all four directions it's what's nece- is 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 what's necessary um and you can also see that people in their ministries um specialize in one of those directions and that's a marvelous thing.
0: Yeah, McNight might just be a secret mystic who uh hides it in his <laughs> beautiful academic mind that he has, you know. <laughs> but he has to he has to protect his job. I'm just kidding Scott, not that Scott listens to the podcast, but uh I would like to think Scott is a secret mystic. He's a, he's a great dude. Um <laughs> but the 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 other thing that you had mentioned that I think is really, is really huge. And I know it's not everybody's personality, um, but I would, listeners, I'd want to challenge you to take this as almost like a spiritual practice, right? The spiritual practice of just being curious. Mm. I think that's huge, right? Um, If we, you know, if we, as I was taught, you know, I grew up in a similar background, like fundamentalist, Southern Baptist. Um, If I was taught that like I have the big T truth and that I have all access to that, then if I'm curious and go somewhere else, I shouldn't be afraid, right? Because I'm not going to find anything out there that's sketchy. I already have the truth. Um, <laughs> but I think curiosity is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spiritual practice that when we um, allow ourselves to be curious, uh, one, it it breaks down the ego, right? Which the, the ego causes all sorts of issues. Uh, but it breaks down our ego. And then again, opens up the possibility for relationship because we're no longer blocking ourselves in and you know, putting ourselves in this box and other people in these boxes. But curiosity says, well, let me see. My box isn't all that great. Let me see what's in your box, too. And, and maybe I have something in my box that you might have, find helpful. So I think curiosity as a spiritual practice should should become a thing. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Oh no! I I think it's I think it's really important. And in fact, you know, when we are in dialogue with people of other faiths, we we kind of have to go to that encounter with a willingness to be changed. I think it it's important to go with a certain amount of theological humility, um, because uh, otherwise we're just butting heads, and um, that isn't really helpful for anybody. Um, I I can't say that there's a single uh, tradition that I've studied that I haven't learned from that, uh, you know, that hasn't informed my faith and in a way that uh, has has made
0: it richer. Yeah, I think um, humility is so key and that Humility comes up a lot. I feel, well, at least in my experience, humility came up a lot as like a, Hey, like as a good Jesus follower, humility is key. Um, it was, it was like, give it lip service, but it was never actually practiced. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) humility is good as long as you're talking with other Christians and you're disagreeing about something that, you know, maybe is a secondary, secondary issue or something like that. Um, But where I've found humility to be so helpful is that humility is, uh, I don't know if this is too strong to say, but almost like humility can be like a cure for our need for certainty. Um, Mm. Because I think it's once we, when we have certainty within our own perspectives, then that inherently makes us shut off to others. Oh, totally. And so for like me, certainty is one of those things that like, once we're nailed down into boxes of certainty, that is like a, you know, really great recipe for like violence, right? <laughs> because then you can't hear anybody else. So, like, I think certainty uh, is perhaps like a really dangerous evil that exists out there. And maybe humility, a dose of humility um, might be a healthy, healthy remedy. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Well, I, I think certainty
2: is the death of faith. I mean, faith assumes doubt, uh, and if you're certain, who needs faith? Um,
1: so uh, I I find certainty to just be a poison spiritually.
0: Yeah, it because um, I I think too like certainty perhaps plays into the why I think I know for a fact certain certainty. I'm being certain about uncertainty. Certainty uh, plays into uh, the egos need to be right, yep. and that ego has a real way of killing spirituality. Ego kills spirit, mm-hmm. um, and I—I th- I mean, I once I had that realization, I think that was huge. So that I think I think you're exactly right, and one of the the Bible stories that I'm reminded of, um, that I think illustrates this well is like the like right before or well Jesus gives like the the disciples like the Great Commission or whatever, which I think most Christians are probably familiar with, you know, like go out and make disciples of all nations. And before that happens, it says that like some of the disciples worshipped and some of them doubted. But the way that it's like written is it's not saying that there was a group of disciples who worshiped and also a group of disciples who doubted but rather the disciples worshiped and doubted at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so like the 12 dudes that hung out with this Jesus guy that he's, you know, commissions to go spread this stuff were the worshiping and yet doubting disciples. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I think that gets far too often overlooked, but I I find that interesting and inspiring because I can fit into that category.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, um, when you look at different faiths, um, uh, well, first of all, a little pet peeve of mine is when um, people say, oh, well, you know, at at their core, all faiths are the same. Well, you know, they're not. (laughs) They're they're just not. Um, uh, I mean, soteriologically, they're not, Um, you know, what different faiths are trying to save us from differ from faith from from faith to faith. Um, um, But one of the things that all faiths really do have in common is this kind of uh, uh, core process for spiritual growth um, in that the goal is a a disidentification with the personal ego and a re-identification with a larger self. You know, for Native traditions, that larger self is nature. Um, you know, for Tao- Taoists, that larger self is the Tao. For, for Hindus, that larger self is Brahman. You know, for Mahayana Buddhists, it's Buddha nature. Um, for, for Jews, you know, exoterically, um, the larger self is Israel. You know, and esoterically, you know, it's... Uh, the larger self is is god you know that 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 part of god that is in us and the part of us that is in god and in islam the larger self is the umma and in sufism mystical islam it's allah himself um but the process you know regardless of how you envision the larger self, that process of disidentification and re-identification is pretty much the same. And for Christians, you know, um, it, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's, it's, uh, it's a re-identification with Christ. Um, I, uh, I, I I get uh, a little impatient with uh, the kind of uh, uh, anemic uh, s- sacramentalism that, um, that you know, that says baptism is a symbol. Um, you know, baptism, uh, you know, historically has been seen as a deeply mystical ritual that unites us to Jesus, that, you know, that at our baptism, we become one being with him. Everything that is ours becomes his, everything that is his becomes ours, you know, so all that, all that is ours, our gifts, but also our sin is absorbed into him and everything that is his, including his, his divinity, his immortality, his resurrection becomes ours. This, you know, the body of Christ isn't a metaphor the body of Christ is a living reality. Um, Jesus is who I really am. Um, I'm only secondarily John. Um, That's a, I mean, there's a robust sacramentalism right there. That's, that's, uh, but that, that kind of mysticism is the heart of the Christian tradition. Um, uh, So Jesus is the larger self. Uh, We, we take that seriously, or we should take that seriously.
0: Yeah, I I love that. And I it it reminds me too. I think uh, I heard Richard War say this, and I I could be wrong. So if you know, please correct me or listeners fact checked me. But I think he was referencing Augustine when he talks about the idea of uh, the Eucharist, right? And he was like, oh, because Richard War a Franciscan, you know, monk, and he's like a Catholic, and he's like, oh, we have these fights and these debates over is it the real presence? Is it not? What is it? And he's like, it's an adventure and missing the point. Because the point <laughs> of the Eucharist is to remind us that we are what we eat, mm-hmm. just like you said, we are the body mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he was he was pulling from Augustine when he was uh, referencing that. But I I absolutely love that, and I think that was a another huge uh, thing for myself because growing up. So so what I've noticed is like growing up all of these really great things like the eucharist and and baptism and uh whatever um within the faith that i grew up in when everything was taken literally or lot maybe like overly logical is the the best words i can explain um it never quite satisfied it 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 sounded nice but it never quite got there it never quite brought transformation if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. and then once once the spiritual lenses, so to speak um were brought to the picture, then it was like, oh my goodness like this was here the whole time. Holy crap this is <laughs> like really good news. yeah hiding in plain sight right exactly it's been in front of me the whole time. that's why I, I like talking about it as this like awakening to a reality that has been true the whole time. Yes, um, and it's that's that's like the the spirituality. Sorry, that's like, that oh again? no, Siri, Sorry. go away. Forgive Siri. <laughs> um, <laughs> she wants to get in on the conversation. Apparently, but, like that's that's the gift that the mystics uh, have have given me, and it took me a really long time, uh, and I'm and I'm still just now like starting to to come to terms with this, um, and it's it's been really really huge. Um, but also quickly, before I forget, you had mentioned that one thing that uh, kind of is a pet peeve of yours is the idea that like, oh, all religions are just the same or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I want to be really careful not to say that, too, because like I think once we um, it, it, that can become very like uh, I don't I don't know how to pronounce the word properly, like um. I don't, like the singular, like it, or like even just like um, patriarchal is not quite the right word. Like hierarchical, like I have all of this stuff figured out. I sit here at the top, and I can see and and bring this all together, and it fits in my box. Like it, that seems wrong to me. <laughs> like
2: well, or something.
0: I don't like. I'm, I'm I'm lacking words, but I'm I'm with you. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm well, trying to find the right word for it. Uh, well it it, it
1: it sounds reductionistic too uh to 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 say that but you've kind of you've hit upon you know one of the big um uh kind of debates in uh interfaith uh theology you know what do we do with our exclusivism you know there's there's really three positions broad positions to take and you know you and I are both intimately familiar with the, the exclusivist position. This is what we were brought up on. Basically, we're right. Everyone else is wrong. Um, and uh, and in our particular brand of that, uh, the Southern Baptist brand, everyone else is, you know, destined for an eternal hell. Um, but, you know, in the, the mid-20th century, you started to see uh, uh, another position uh, come to the fore. Which is uh, inclusivism. So, Karl Rahner's uh, Anonymous Christian is probably the most famous uh, example of this. So, um, uh, you know, Rahner uh, said that, um, you know, that Jesus is, uh, you know, the Son of God and Christianity is correct, um, but people of other faiths might get enough right to make it in under the wire. Um, and so, a Christian—I uh, mean, a Buddhist—could be an anonymous Christian, could be, you know, uh, a, a Christian in in heart and not know it. Um, but but God would recognize that that, that Christianity. Uh, obviously, this is a problematic uh, <laughs> way of way of looking at it. Um, but in fact, inclusivism is probably the most prevalent. Um, uh, way of of looking at interfaith. And I, I certainly find that that's true among my students. A lot of my students are what I would call spiritual but not religious folks. Um, and you know they've they've constructed this uh, spiritual schema. they've got it figured out. Um, and uh, and as part of their schema, even people who don't have it, you know, they don't get it right, um there there aren't going to be any any serious or eternal consequences because you know there's a, there's a loving there's 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 a loving divinity behind everything um so it's all okay um that's an inclusivist position that's a very it's, it's a very generous uh inclusivist position um but it's still an inclusivist position um the the other position that's possible is is uh, a pluralistic uh Position. Um, and this is, you know, probably best represented by John Hick. I don't know if you've read um uh John Hick, but um he's he's basically uh saying that all of our religions are metaphors and symbols that are pointing towards some larger mystery that we can't figure out and we can't explain. Um, but uh but through these symbols and metaphors we can have some kind of relationship with um but basically all of our symbols and metaphors are kind of equally wrong but they're also kind of equally right uh so um so there's 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 no space for us to you know to have any kind of spiritual arrogance um cuz we're we're all just pointing towards towards that mystery and and you know i think there's a lot to be said for For Hick's position, Um, but a few years ago, when I was at the Parliament of World Religions, I um, I came across a panel on the theology of S. Mark Heim. Have you Have you read uh, Mark Heim at all? He's a Lutheran theologian, um, and he has a an inclusivist position that is very nuanced. um, That I find very very compelling. Um, uh, Almost thou hast convinced me. Mark so uh he's basically saying uh, that yes there is there is one right faith or one faith that gets more of it right than any other and he thinks that faith is is Christianity, but so great is is the mercy and the love of God that God will honor whatever covenant you have signed on. So if you have signed on to the Buddhist covenant and you, you know, believe that you will enter into nirvana, then God will grant that. You will, you will get what you want at the end of all things. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a multiple eschatological ends. Um, uh, and, I think there's also a lot to be said for that position, although I'm I'm not so confident that Christianity comes closer to it than any other. Um, but he uh, he does in uh, in in a later book, um, uh, the depth of the riches. He talks about a schema where he says there are there are religions of the Father, like Judaism, and Islam, and Kashmir Shaivism. Uh, there are Religions of the sun, like Christianity, and you know many forms of uh, Vishneic, uh Hinduism that uh, uh, that centered themselves on one of the incarnations of Vishnu, um, and then there are religions of the spirit, which is kind of the basket into which all the others are are thrown, like <laughs> oh, Buddhism and and uh, uh, and, uh, native traditions and, and so forth. Um, and that, um, different religions basically have primary relationships with different members of the Trinity. Um, it's a really interesting notion. Um, so, you know, I'm not prepared to say, yeah, I think I, 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 I think, I think you're right about that. But, uh, it's, it's something that I can't stop thinking about. Uh, and, and certainly it is a way, it is a framework for Christians to understand how other religions can be life-giving and salvific. Because they are facilitating uh, relationships with God in one of the forms that we understand. And you know, one of the things that I I tell my spiritual directees is the uh, the great thing about having a trinity is as long as you're on speaking terms with one of them, you're good to go.
0: I really like
2: that.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's huh. That I, that's really interesting. I I definitely I want to I took some notes when you were, you were speaking. I want to look into his work because um, that is super interesting to me i've not not come across that
1: uh you should you should you should have him on your show i i would i would really want to hear that
0: yeah for sure sounds good to me don't have to ask me twice (laughs) i'll have to i'll reach out and i'll I'll check out some of his work um but for me and i did my best to try to express this and i'll do my best to try to express it again um but i did this on a, a recent episode with my friend greg when we talked about buddhism um, I used to one of the first questions I started asking myself um, or asking in general, uh, when it came to like deconstruction or whatever was the the question of hell. like what is what is hell? who goes there, who doesn't, and heaven, right? And at first, I became an annihilationist and took that position. Uh, And then eventually I became a, like a hopeful universalist. And then I was like, no, I'm just universalist because David Bentley Hart convinced me that like saying I'm hopeful was like a coward thing to do or something like that. I don't remember. (laughs) It's a couple of years ago. (laughs) Um, But then like I've recently, and like, I don't know when this shift happened. Like I can't pinpoint it, but it's just something like when I was speaking, it came out of me and I was like, Oh, that's weird. That's what I believe. I guess it is what I believe. Like I got, to this this point within universalism where i was like well what like i don't i don't even know what it means to go to heaven when i die or anything like that uh the bible has some references which you know as a christian that's my sacred text the bible has some references uh it, it doesn't really seem too interested in it it talks a whole lot about earth though and the kind of life we're living now and so i came to this form of universalism uh where it was like everything exists so i'm a panentheist so like everything exists within uh the divine Mm -hmm. and the divine exists within all things at the same time and so like everything exists so with my trinitarian christian language everything exists within the divine flow within the outpouring of the relationship between the father son and holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And and the thing that's lacking is not that truth that everything exists, but rather an awareness of it. And so when I interact with uh, different faiths, um, I'm still like, we're all in this divine flow together. And I call this thing uh, Christ and you call it the Tao or you call it the Buddha or you call it this or that. So like I don't know exactly where that falls, but like that's kind of like the space that I at least currently find myself in. Um, is that I? Yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense at all? Am I like missing something? No, no, I don't
1: think so at all. Um, uh, I uh, I once hit upon the idea of the uh the the, of the universe being like a computer, and um, uh. Jesus being my user interface whereas you know Buddhists have a different user interface um <laughs> but <laughs> we're we're using the we're using the same computer but you know Jesus is the face of god for me um and um so then you know then you get into the question of okay but is he so is he just a symbol of god or is is he a living person um and I have to say he's a living person, but I'm I'm also I'm at the same time completely willing to to uh you know to uh uh to accept the idea that that the Buddha is a living person as well. Um and uh you know if for Mahayana Buddhists um, you know, is the the face of of the all for
2: them.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I I I like that. And I think too, cause I still want to like make that kind of affirmation as well. Like Jesus, like, but to me, they become true faith claims at that point. I'm making a faith claim about who I believe the person of Jesus to be. And I'm basing that off of experiential knowledge of the God Mm -hmm. that I've, you know, experienced. And then also here's this like theology and beautiful, you know, tradition, called Christianity that I find myself in. Um, So like I make these faith claims about who I think the person of Jesus is, but then that still gives room for that humility and curiosity to say, okay, well, let's, you know, talk over here. Like how, how do you guys phrase this as, uh, Muslims or as, you know, a Buddhist or, or Hindu or, uh, whatever. And I think, um, that was a a major shift for me as well. And I think I, I think coming to this and and even having conversations like this has been really helpful because one of the questions that I've been so terrified to ask and to look into, it's like the one thing that I didn't want to question in my faith. uh, was historic Jesus studies, Mm -hmm. which sounds silly to some people because they're like, why not? Uh, but because Jesus was my foundation and my anchor point, And I was like, I can't question that thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but conversations like this, and then the experiential knowledge that I have, I've gained and that other people seem to experience as well has actually softened my, I wanted to say my heart at first, but I think the intellect, my ego was the thing that was in the way it was beginning to soften that. And then, Open my heart to to you know conversations like that. So I don't know. I'm just a work in progress. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Aren't we all right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we I think it's human to to want
1: to have it all figured out. Um. I and I think that's the downfall of our uh, of our faiths when they go bad is that we we think we have it all figured out. Um. When in fact, um. There's so much mystery. And I I would rather be in love with the mystery than with the answers, um, because I think in the mystery is life. And, you know, so this mystery takes uh, this form for me and takes another form for somebody else, uh, and they are both vital in living relationships, and I I don't have to question that.
0: Yeah, that it's that's beautiful, and I it reminds me too of this idea that like mystery doesn't mean something that is unknowable, but rather something that is infinitely knowable. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, yeah. and, that's great.
1: <laughs> well, and ineffable, you know. And I, I mean, I think this is the this is the trap that all the mystics get into is they have this experience of this great mystery that is beyond the power of, of words to contain. But they have to try. It's like the very first uh, uh, verse of the Tao Te Ching says that the Tao that can be described in words is not the real Tao. But then he spends 5,000 Chinese characters trying to describe it in words, you know. Uh,
0: uh, yeah. That's I always the way. I, I mean, I think too that's like what the biblical authors were trying to do as well oh yeah like they're they're trying to put words to this experience that they had and uh sometimes they sound like ancient near eastern people but that's because they were <laughs> yeah absolutely. absolutely yeah and they're 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 trying to put words to this and like this experience and then you know paul comes along and he's trying to figure out like this whole like christ experience this radical change in con- and conversion this change of heart that he had in his life and he's like trying to put it into words and he's throwing out all these different metaphors and ideas and he just can't seem to just give us one which is what we want right and <laughs> yes. and i think that that's a good thing and not a bad thing that's like kind of more so where i'm moving into is like oh Paul is trying or or whoever these these biblical authors are trying to describe something that is that is indescribable. And they're doing their best to give human language to their experience. And when we try to take that and make it too literal, then it just it's again, it's another adventure in uh, in missing the point.
1: So.
0: <laughs> well, well, right. And it becomes it, it
1: becomes dangerous and hurtful. Which yeah. and it becomes the opposite of the gospel. It becomes bad news.
0: Yeah, bad news indeed. And yeah, uh, yeah, and it and then that's where it starts to draw divisions and where it starts to separate uh, rather than unite and bring together. And then you know the fruits of the spirit aren't birthed out of this separation and division and anger and violence and hatred. Um, so it's like, hello, we didn't have a clue. like it's right here. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. we're we're missing it. Uh, and it, and you just adventure. you just
1: hit upon something else. you know, when you mentioned the the fruits of the spirit, you know one of the great things about um becoming friends with people of other faith traditions is that you see the fruits of the spirit in their life as well. You see that their faith, is salvific, you know, that it is transformative, that it is making them um, a more loving person. Um, and so it's, you know, it's really hard to, uh, when you start to know and love someone of another faith, um, you know, to to have those exclusivist boundaries because your eyes, you know, your eyes betray you. Um, you can you can see the love that your friend has for God and it's the same love that you have for God that's why I love reading like Rumi and Hafiz uh, because I I totally I totally relate with their experience of the beloved
0: yeah I remember (laughs) man this is a while ago I, we had a, I had a conversation way a long time ago, uh, and my friend Dan was on the podcast. And at the time, my, my co-host uh, was very different from me theologically, which was cool. That was like the whole point of the show at the time. And the way that some Christians would describe what you're describing is a bucket called common grace, right? Where like God gives, you know, special grace to Christians and the elect. And then everyone else who looks like they actually love people—they're still pieces of shit. That's just common grace. And my friend Dan had this wonderful line. He was like, "Well, dude, it sure seems a lot like regular fucking grace to me." <laughs> and that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. And I was oh, like, yeah." I was like, ah, "I, I kind of with I'm with Dan on this one. It sure seems yeah. like grace to me." <laughs> and if we we have to come up with a a concept to describe why somebody's actions that are producing the fruits of the spirit and that are loving and are good and beautiful. True. If we have to come up with the system to say why none of that's true, they're still just pieces of shit. Then who's doing mental gymnastics here? Who is, you know, that's, I I don't know.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you there.
0: Ah, man. Well, John, um, it is, we've gone over the amount of time that I, uh, originally um asked you for but this conversation has been so much fun and there's like a million questions I'd still love to ask you so perhaps uh you'll have to just come and hang out again if I didn't manage to scare you away
1: (laughs) any any time and uh and let me know when you want to talk writing sometime too
0: oh yeah most definitely that that would be awesome I will uh I will keep in touch with you I, I have your email obviously and uh, I'll offline, I'll give you some more of my uh, personal contact information as well. And uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I'd appreciate. Sounds good. It. Sweet. Thank well, you so
1: much for having me on. This was an absolute blast.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And um, as well, I'm, I'm going to, I have some notes of like different things I'm going to post in the, the show notes as well, like links to some of your, your books, like your website, things like that. Um, so listeners can can connect with you. Is there anywhere else aside from like links to books and website where people can find you or you want people to to find you? (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, uh, uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook, so uh, they can find me there as well.
0: Most definitely. Well, John, again, thank you so much for your time and your patience with getting this interview to to happen. I appreciate it. And uh, listeners, thanks so much for hanging out today. And as always, go in peace.